The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Tom Sisti. Tom is the Executive Vice President and General Counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. Tom, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thank you, Roger. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, well, Tom, you just you just uh, clearly, if folks, regular listeners to the show will know that you have uh, given that title, you've changed uh, positions. Yes, I have. I'm very, very pleased to have joined the team over at the coalition. I think it's uh, it's going to be a great time, great support for the members. Uh, working some of the policy issues, reinforcing the law and policy analysis there. So I'm, I'm really enjoying the transition. It's been a wonderful transition, and uh, I'm looking forward to a very, very productive year. Well, um, well, Tom, we're, yeah, I can say personally and as, as an organization, I know the members are very excited to have you on board, see you on board, and you know, re- reinforcing commercial practices you know, commercial terms and conditions to the maximum extent practical when it makes sense and understanding the federal market. Uh, I can't think of anyone uh, more uh, more suited for working with the coalition, and uh, we're, we're excited to have you as part of the team. So um, with that, Tom, let's um, talk about uh, what's on everybody's mind right now, or at least a lot of folks' mind, and that's um, e-commerce and, you know, just uh, – Last week, GSA came out with its uh, report on e-commerce and uh, phase two report. So phase two, that means there was a phase one. Tom, Tom, can you just run through uh, how we got to the phase two report, and then we'll talk a little bit about what's in it. Well, if you dial everything back to the very, very beginning, we we had statutory language initially introduced uh, the – Defense Acquisition Streamlining and Transparency Act, which evolved into Section 846, calling for the creation of uh, e-commerce portals uh, by GSA um, for select uh, commercial items, uh, not services, uh, to be procured uh, via these online portals. Um, Part of that process required GSA to do market analysis, to do – industry engagement, to take input, uh, come up with a plan, a transition plan, uh, and then uh, after review of industry input to come up with a final, uh, well, a phase two report that would sort of chart how they're going to pilot the system. Now we're waiting for phase three. And in that phase, we will uh, move closer to the piloting and uh, GSA will do an assessment of the pilot and um, derive an approach to a lessons learned and and, then continue forward to full implementation. So that's a very high level. Right. uh, And Section 846, that was in the National Defense Authorization Act of 18, 2018. And, you know, just within that context, the act um, 
did sort of lay out this plan where you had to have implementation plan, phase two, market research plan, then phase three is the guidance for use. Um, and, you know, how do you, how, you know, give us a sense how you think GSA sort of, you know, approached the market in terms of its outreach and engagement. Well, I think um, it should be commended for its uh, significant efforts to try and get engagement from industry. I mean, they've switched venues <laughs> to go to larger venues to bring people in. They've done online access. Uh, so I, I think – uh, that's been a very, very positive aspect of this whole process, trying to reach out, trying to collaborate with industry, answering questions. The industry, they had industry panels, they had from, from various quarters, from associations, from the private sector companies. They had the government panels. They took Q&A. Uh, they've been very receptive to meetings. So I, I think you got to give them an A-plus uh, for that engagement. Very transparent, yes. Um, so, and then the highlights in the, you know, in the initial implementation plan, which was back in March of last year, um, there's some, I think some key highlights in that, particularly the, the identifications of the different types of plat- platforms. Um, and then there were some legislative proposals in that. Can you refresh, you know, my recollection of what was in there and well, listeners? Well, GSA on its own put together sort of tried to capture, if you will, the components of the marketplace. So we have uh, three models that were proposed in the plan, uh, the uh, e-commerce model, an e-marketplace model, and an e-procurement model. So if you think of um, an e-commerce model, you have, say, uh, Roger Incorporated sells Roger. Well, we can use company names. It's okay. <laughs> like people have wet websites selling their own stuff, right? Exactly. They've, you know, they could be manufacturing themselves they can be using suppliers you think of any number of companies who do that like staples office depot when you just think about you know dell all kinds of different companies right and then you then you have the e-marketplace model which is many suppliers being hosted by a provider think walmart or an amazon and then you have an e-procurement model which is uh, I always think of the Travago guy on TV or something like that, uh, Kayak, where um, a, 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 a software or a product uh, scans the, the available websites uh, to identify um, the most suitable product to be purchased based on the business know, rules, pre stated. Right. Uh, and the parameters. software handles and establishes the business mm-hmm. rules, right. the processes that people are going to use for that purchasing. So they have three those three models. They also had a couple, you know, at least interesting legislative proposals. Some would say controversial in that implementation plan last March. What were those? Well, one was to elevate the uh, micro purchase threshold to twenty five thousand um, dollars. But I want to go back to those models for a second. Okay. Um, because I think you're my guest. Thank you. You are. My I guest. am your guest. Right. <laughs> so, I I think. Um, when that was done, it, it took industry aback a little bit. I've been, I was in industry meetings. Um, there was concern expressed at that point that um, you ran the risk of focusing on one of the three. At the expense of the other two. At the expense of the other two. And so um, although you could do it, you could, uh, you could take the, on the market that way, you still had to remember how we got to Section 846 uh, from where we started with DASTA 
the Defense Acquisition and Transparency uh, Act because um, it, there was clearly a desire to in vet, the original language. In the original, well, in the original language, it was it, it very focused. Very focused on a particular. You'd say the e-marketplace model, of right? Three, right? Right. And so there was concern that while people thought there might be competition among suppliers, there was a concern that there wouldn't be competition between the solutions providing access to those suppliers. And that was a significant benefit that the government might be giving up and also could put one solution in the role of gatekeeper to the government marketplace via e-commerce. So we evolved to 846, and when we saw many well, of us— Well, 846, the, the language— Changed. Yes. It, it didn't speak of a marketplace. It spoke of a portal, mm -hmm. uh, indicating—broadening the language to indicate access via multiple solutions. And the idea is that you would be testing multiple solutions that would provide access to these products. So I think there was a concern, but an industry expressed it and said, you know, you can go this way, but please don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Don't pick one and then lose the other two. Right, and that goes to, um, you know, expanding the potential for, for different types of solutions. And GSA in and of itself didn't necessarily have to identify those three different types. They could have kept it generic. Mm-hmm. Um, but in doing so, I, th I mean, it's sort of a, you know, a double-edged sword, right? There's some good in the fact that they did it because it gets people thinking about those type of solutions. It also, you know, theoretically doesn't limit the, you know, technology evolving a fourth type, mm -hmm. right, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, but to your point, one of the concerns um, that I think was universal across industry was – if you're going down this path and you pick one of those three uh, moving forward, then you've sort of gone back to um, limiting the market, you know, akin to what what the original language did, regardless of which model you chose. Exactly. And I think that all of the policy concerns that arose at that point in the process, the concern about locking up the market, the concern about um, uh, basically picking a technology winner and to the exclusion of the losers, embedding uh, an entity in the marketplace that was, or entities in that model category, that was a potential risk. Okay, Tom, we're already up on the break, and when we come back, we'll just talk a little bit about that. You know, first, you know, the implementation plan, and you know, because you went back to the the platform language, you know, the couple key legislative proposals that were in the implementation plan. You mentioned one of them. The other one, I think, is around GSA's authority to write the rule, the competition rules, and manage the program. Um, and then we'll start talking a little bit about, you know, this phase two market research report and some of the interesting things that are um, in that report. My guest today is Tom Sisti. He is the executive vice, Pre executive vice president and general counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. My guest today is Tom Sisti. Tom is the Executive Vice President and General Counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and Tom, you know, when we uh, 
when we uh, took the break, um, you know, we went through the three different types of platforms in the e-commerce implementation plan. There are a couple interesting legislative proposals, in particular one that was adopted um, by and ultimately made it into law, another one that was not. The um, I guess the, uh, the one that did not was almost in a certain sense an administrative sort of cleanup that where GSA provided language to the Hill and it's in the report that essentially gave it the authority to manage the program, to establish the procedures around it uh, for ordering or or whatever else was needed to be done. Um, And then the other one was the $25,000 increase in the micro-purchase threshold. So which one of those got adopted or not, Tom? (laughs) Well, the former... That's a a trick question. (laughs) Right, right. The former um, was not controversial. The latter was the tw- elevation of the micro purchase threshold uh, to twenty five thousand. I think there was concern that, as you know, and it's not clear in statute because you have to run to different places in the statute. Twenty five thousand. Uh, excuse me. The micro purchase threshold is a cutoff point below which certain laws don't apply. So think Buy American Act, Trade Agreements Act. Um, various provisions of law don't apply uh, for the purposes of small acquisitions. So um, the desire was to bump this up to 25000 um, The rationale was almost like a rationale from the last century. It was from the 1990s. Um, the idea that, well, we don't have risk because we're still talking relatively low dollars uh, what's the problem? It allows um, uh, the the base commands, for instance, to make these purchases without going through all the mystery of hassle of, of uh, assuring compliance. The problem is it's not the 1990s anymore, that we have an evolution of concerns um, over the last couple of decades that involve uh, more than just dollar cost risk or time risk. They involve product integrity risk, supply chain risk. So to elevate this threshold carries with it implications, for, especially for IT products, let's say. You have to understand what the integrity of that product is, what its, its pedigree is. Is it uh, laced with a cyber uh, risk? And that can't be checked at a higher threshold level. Now, people say, well, um, we don't worry, we don't have to worry about it now even at a lower threshold a risk is a risk it's there but the difference is that the alternative program that exists the, the GSA advantage the schedules program that by by dictate doesn't waive using the micro purchase threshold so compliance goes down to the product level uh, un, unaltered now is that 100% God only knows, but you do know that you start out with a higher level of confidence in the in the transaction than you do when you start bumping up and waiving compliance rules. Well, another thing I, about about that recommendation that I always I scratch my head, and even now today, you know, with what's going on with regard to trade, mm-hmm. you know, and particularly China and the United States, the issues that are you know in the negotiations and all that sort of thing. Well, in, you know, because the micro purchase threshold, um, you know, purchases up to that, up to the micro purchase threshold, which is now ten thousand dollars, and the proposal was, in the implementation plan, was to raise it twenty five. 
you know, you, the Trade Agreements Act doesn't apply, you know, uh, you know the, the Buy American Act doesn't apply. So you can buy as much stuff, theoretically, from China as you want without any restriction whatsoever, other than, you know, the contracting officers themselves, you know, making conscious decisions. The, you know, the, the rule doesn't – so you're increasing basically a channel – that where there's no limitation when the whole purpose of the Trade Agreements Act is this idea to promote fair treatment for American products by other foreign governments and their procurement systems, and to, and to and we you know that's the that's the bargain for exchange. China is not signed up to the WTO right. uh, and the Trade Agreements Act, so you know they can do whatever they want to American products, and now we're creating a channel where there's even greater opportunity. To you know, to purchase their products, I, it just seems like there's a disconnect between the overall approach of the administration. Does that make sense to you? Well, I don't know if it's the administration, but uh, there is a disconnect. I think there are multiple disconnects here. We you know we turn and look at all of the cyber legislation, the supply chain insurance legislation, the rules that have come out. We know from last year's uh, NDAA, we made permanent the authority. Uh, for DOD to for security systems to uh, to withhold award where it sensed there was a cyber, uh, supply chain risk. Okay, so we have that on the one hand. We have another statute that talks about which companies, you know, the telecom companies, ZTE, Huawei, can receive things, uh, can receive contract award. And then we here we're sort of like going in the other direction, and you wonder. So that's you wonder where. Whether people are talking to each other, uh, why all of a sudden in this platform, um, based on simply the platform, right? Right, right. We, uh, yeah, we, that's the criteria for raising it. We want to raise it for. We the, want to raise it for this platform. Right. Um, it, there's just no. There's no and data act, around this. Right, and actually, you know, so so that's all about the you know the phase one the implementation plan. So now we've gotten the, you know, phase two market research, you know, phase that includes, you know, some findings and recommendations. And what's in there, lo and behold? Well, it's back in right. um, the, the elevation of the threshold. And it's in the context of a five-year pilot. Um, I don't understand why five years, how, how, where the data brought, is that brought them to this decision. Um uh, so, so you you just left kind of scratching your head. How, and, the other, and the same issues haven't really been addressed. Right? No, it it doesn't seem that way. Um, the 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 government is also proposing to pilot only one of the three models. Right. So, in a certain sense, the increase in the micro purchase threshold for a five year period will only bet. Also, when you stop and think about it, it will only benefit one type of platform, the one that they're going to pilot and build the program on, right? right? And we're now back where we were at the beginning of this whole process a couple of years ago, where we're trying to understand how it makes sense to pilot one approach when there are multiple solutions in the marketplace. And, and, and just to be clear, which one are they going to mar- are they going to test? This is the e- uh, marketplace. Right. So they are not going to test the e-commerce one, which would be companies on their own website, right. a la Staples, Office Depot, or the e-procurement one, which is soft, you know, software. Some kind of software. Business solution. rules like SAP, SAP Ariba. Ariba. Yeah. 
So they're going to, and they're, you know, tying the, in a certain sense, when you stop and think about it, which I hadn't until we started talking about it today, so that they're tying that 25000 in in, in, la- in largely to just the e-marketplace model right. as opposed to any other model. It seems, you know, just out of whack, I don't know what like to say. Well, how do you do that without also accounting for certain compliance elements that you know you're waiving and right. still fulfill the needs to assure assurance, supply chain assurance? Right. So, and Tom, that's a good place to stop. We're up on the break already. My guest today is Tom Sisti. He is the Executive Vice President and General Counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. When the world calls for advanced electronics, we respond with C4ISR breakthroughs. When the world calls for defense from cyber threats, we provide groundbreaking cyber solutions. When the world calls for a revolution in autonomous technology, Northrop Grumman is there. At Northrop Grumman, we're constantly innovating to deliver the most effective and affordable solutions to our customers. Whether it's cyber, logistics, autonomous systems, C4ISR, or strike, that's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. To learn more, visit northropgrumman.com performance. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. My guest today is Tom Sisti. Tom is Executive Vice President and General Counsel at the Coalition for Government Procurement, and we've been talking about the GSA's uh, Section 846 initiative um, and the release of the Phase 2 market research sort of report. Uh, last segment, Tom, you know, we, we highlighted, I think, some of the really big things that hit, that immediately strike you, the you know, proposal to raise the twenty-five, the micro-purchase threshold again to twenty-five thousand, and the all the same issues rise up there with regard to, you know, what should what compliance requirements should or shouldn't be there. The creation of parallel contracting universes, mm-hmm. a lack of consistency across programs in terms of the the process and the requirements, um, and you t- and then the other one was the uh, uh, as you pointed out is is the fact that the that GSA is recommending only doing a proof of concept with the market, market e-marketplace model and leaving out the other two models, uh, what the implications of that. Um, so you have those couple things going on. I think there's other areas that um, you found really interesting in the report. In particular, I think there's uh, area this, this area about security and some of the requirements in the statute versus GSA's you know approach. Well, yeah, I, I think you, you read in – the report that GSA indicates the proof of concept is not intended to solve agencies' supply chain security issues. But you have to remember 846 explicitly anticipated that the contracts awarded would make sure that they protect any government information and take steps to protect against national security or cybersecurity threats. That's a quote. So um, it's hard to understand how you can then step back from that because in this process, you're effectively devolving the risk decision to the transaction point. So all the purchasers now are assessing the um, the cyber risk issue as opposed to having an upfront kind of culling, if you will, of the products that would, would be suitable for purchasing. I, I don't know how you make those – how you get to that how you leap from one to the other, um, especially in the context of a five-year pilot. Uh, I, you and one where, like, we go back to what we talked about in the last segment, 
there are, you know, the Trade Agreements Act doesn't apply, the Buy American Act. Exactly. So there's no restrictions on the supply chain and where a product can come from. So you're introducing, and, and you want to raise it to 25000 on top of it. It's yeah. just interesting. Yeah, and I, you know, at the same time, it's, it's very, I, I don't think you can just leave it at, oh, well, if you leave it at the current dollar threshold, that's great too. It doesn't take much in terms of the dollar value of IT to make a mess in a network because it's really about understanding product pedigree. And that may not be linked to a dollar threshold the way risk was analyzed a couple of decades ago for micro-purchase. The other thing is a lot of the justification seems to be focused on this goal to adapt commercial practices, to modernize, and then to all with the idea of maintaining a um, consistent, unified procurement process. But it's really, you sort of lose in this discussion what the value is to the government. People oftentimes say, well, buying commercial, using commercial terms and conditions and buying commercial products and services is our goal. That's really not right. Commercial terms and conditions, products and services are tools to get to a goal. The goal is efficient mission fulfillment at fair and reasonable prices. And, right. you know, that's, that's I think, more and more we hear this not only in this context, but in other contexts around procurement these days, that, well, we got to buy commercial. We've got to go. The law never said that. If you go back to FASA, it said the government shall utilize commercial terms, conditions, products, and services to the maximum extent practicable. It was a preference. It wasn't a mandate. There's a reason for that. The government has a different mission than the private sector, has different concerns. It needs an element of flexibility to uh, to go beyond simply utilizing these terms, conditions, products, and services. So I think um, I think that there we're seeing that kind of carry through here, and I have a little concern personally that we might again be in this baby bathwater scenario. We throw out government provisions that were intended to protect government networks. Uh, from problems. I think there are some data provisions in here. The whole discussion of the data security, um, if you go use back... Use of the data, is that what you're talking use about? Use of the data. There are data restri- data use restrictions on uh, providers under Section 846. They were uh, amended last year. Um, the, the intent was uh, to assure that you wouldn't undermine the marketplace and to assure that the data was protected. Now, I'll put it more simply, to me, what it does is it addresses the inherent conflict of interest that e-marketplace models where e-marketplace providers control all the data and then compete directly against the suppliers who are on that model, you know, who are selling through the model. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, that, you know, and it's really trying to address that inherent organizational conflict of interest and the protection of that data. And I know suppliers, I think, uniformly like to see the idea of not having their data used against them. Well, I, I agree. I, I think that the the reports seem to indicate that there, uh, there need to be a study of the data use limitations uh, to see what their impact had on the e-commerce model. I... I didn't understand it, to be honest. Maybe right. there are people smarter than I, I am that understand it. I mean, there was a, I think, 
GSA should be congratulated for identifying the white label issue. That's the issue where um, a provider I described. might – Right, what you talked about. I look at the data and I go, hmm, I might want to get into the widget business. Right. I'll build a, my own brand widget and I'll compete. That, and th- there needs to be maybe at least consideration of beefing up some language to make sure that that kind of activity can be monitored and, and arrested. Well, I thought the language prohibits it myself. Well, it does, but I think that the nuance here is, okay, so it's prohibited. How do you how do you know if it's going on or not? No, um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, the GSA, se- I think, said or said the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah. The second, the other issue is this notion of dealing with surge management. Apparently, there's concern that um, vendors would not be able to access the data to determine whether in exigent circumstances uh, there was a surge in, in purchasing requirement or purchasing need for a given product and where where do you find other sources for the product, where do you invite people. That, I don't see the problem there. To me, there were three things that 846 did with respect to data. It said protect the data you get, uh, don't um, don't use the data uh, uh, for uh, purposes other than the transaction so you can use it for transactional purposes and don't productize the data. Right. You know, don't, don't take it data. and then turn around to either sell it, right. convert it to your own use. It's pretty clear. I right. mean, it should, it, it, there's no you know, rocket it's science. It's kind of ver- visionary language in a certain sense. But you know, to that point, that's, that means the e-marketplace provider can see the data can use the data for purposes of the transactions. Right. And if they see a surge, they can tell the government, right? Right, exactly. You know, it's not like the government never bought commercial products before, you know, in exigent circumstances, like during hurricanes and everything else. They're, right. they're exactly. also Yeah, yeah. I remember working on things like that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, Tom, we're already up on uh, the last break. When we come back, we'll finish up on e-commerce and maybe talk about some other interesting provisions out mm-hmm. there. I mean, we ended up spending three segments on it, more than I anticipated, but it's really interesting stuff. My guest today is Tom Sisti. He's Executive Vice President and General Counsel at the Coalition for Government Procurement. I am Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. I am Roger Waldron, and my guest today is Tom Sisti. He is Executive Vice President and General Counsel at the Coalition for Government Procurement. And Tom, um, just going to wrap up on the, the e-commerce report. I mean, there's so much in it. Um, you know, we could do two or three different shows on mm-hmm. it. And, you know, we're going to be doing some analysis of it more fully and put together a set of questions from industry stakeholders back to GSA on, you know, on what the report actually says. Um, so, but, you know, just in a couple more observations and then we'll move on. Well, it's, um, it's interesting. The statute calls for, um, an assessment of the impact of the e-commerce program on existing government programs. And, and it was at, at first blush, it wasn't really, um, clear what analytics were used to make the, the determination of the impact on the schedules program. I think they said used phraseology like uh, we have no hard data or something. No factual basis. No factual basis uh, to conclude that, which is a different standard, by the way. Uh, was there a factual basis, for instance, uh, in elevating the micro-purchase threshold? Uh, no, they didn't that? use that language. They, there was a, there is, you know, they didn't use that same, you know, analytical framework. 
So, so you say, okay, well, what do? How do you say that in an environment? You know, since the enactment of eight forty six, you had two studies, uh, one from the Naval Postgraduate School and one from the Coalition for Government Procurement, that analyzed. They compared and analyzed a a commercial uh, e marketplace model with GSA Advantage, and in both cases, without going into the nitty gritty statistics in both cases it uh, you had strong evidence of lower pricing on gsa advantage better delivery terms and times on gsa advantage and uh with respect to um and the trade agreements act applied and other things right right? as i was gonna say it's like all of these things applied uh in the context of advantage not necessarily uh in the context of the platform so when you have this these uh this data demonstrating that the government program is so successful, it seems to me you ought to have more in, uh, in terms of analysis uh, before you go out and you create a duplicative program. Remember, under the terms of 846, the schedule program can't be deemed an e-commerce uh, model, even though it is performing so well. So you have to ask yourself, okay, um, why is this sort of – being left to the side in the discussion. Uh, it, it, the vendors have all operated under it. There are consistent terms, conditions that they understand, practices they understand. The um, agencies use it. Everybody's using it. Everybody knows what it is, okay? Right. Yep. And and then it's going to be running in parallel. So how how is this going to work? Right. And what does it say? To, I guess one of the interesting things, I go back to uh, you know, our first segment and you know, seeking to raise the micro purchase threshold to twenty five thousand, just for transactions through the e marketplace, because right. that's all they're going to test. Um, versus, you know, government wide contracts, and I know just limited that have been shown to provide value to customers, and I'm not limited to schedules. But you know, you have NASA Soup, you have NAH, and and IH has, you know, contract government wide contracts as well. Um, so, and GSA is doing a series of BPAs off the schedules for customer agencies right now. So, it it just it's interesting, and it would be great to talk to GSA to get you know more yeah, more from them about what you know what the rationale and their thinking is because I, I don't think it's fully articulated. It's at least clearly yeah. in the report. Well, that's right. It's not apparent, and when you go back to again to the beginning of this process. Uh, there were proposals to have government uh, programs included. So if sure, we're going to yeah. test out what is the best platform, then have the government program out there. And those they were they're specifically excluded. Right. And yet they're the ones yielding the better prices and delivery terms and an element of compliance. So okay, so well, that's enough on that. And I mean, and, and we almost <laughs> spent the whole show on it. Um, just to time, we've got about five minutes left. Uh, are there some other things that you're watching for? Um, and taking a look at that will impact, you know, industry and and government as well in the procurement realm. Well, in the, some of the NDA language. Yeah, in the last NDAA, we um, and this goes back to that point about supply chain assurance. We had provisions uh, regarding the award of contracts to uh, for software, and um, software vendors could not receive a contract from DoD until they reported. Um, going back five years and ongoing obligation, um, uh, whether they revealed uh, their code. Now, it depends 
on which which subsection uh, or clause in the section you're looking at, uh, because one says code, the other says source code, um, whether they revealed it to foreign governments. And it's broken out this way. First, DOD, they, we're talking about section 1654 and 1655. Um, of D- last year's NDA? Yes. Yeah. Uh, DOD is required to identify a, a list of countries of concern. Okay, so you can guess who's going to be on that list. Um, yes, I can. Yes. Two at the top of the list. Right, <laughs> right yes, exactly. Yeah. So um, if you are providing developed software for any country, uh, whether they're on the countries of concern list or not, um, you have to report whether or not you exposed code. And uh, if you are providing commercial, well, for if their country's not on the list, don't have to report that. If their country's on the list, um, you uh, have to report. So think everything for the on the list people or countries. Um, yeah, at risk countries. Basically, yeah. yeah. Now the thing is, we talk about foreign governments or thir- or a commitment or obligation to uh, to show that code or source code to a third party uh, or foreign government or acting there on their behalf. There's significant. Um, authority to determine risk mitigation measures for the department. So we got So theoretically someone's, you know, provides their code to China or whoever, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Well, that's let's an be easy. Realistic. That's easy. Yeah, yeah, so but then then they have to report it to the department. The department then has to develop a risk mitigation plan for that. that could one of those mitigation plans be not buy their software? I, we got to see what the regs look like and we haven't seen them yet. So that's one issue that's sort of lurking out there. Uh, another one, uh, I think we, we've we uh, seen this language that modified, and I, I have to say somehow modified, uh, the limit on single award task and delivery order contracts. Remember the old right. language was um, uh, for contracts over $100 million, there was no award to a single source unless there was a written determination that the orders to be issued uh, under that contract were so intricately related that only one could do it could only reasonably reasonably quote unquote do it now they replaced reasonably with efficiently okay so what so you're the lawyer what does that mean i have no clue i mean because what does it is that is it a higher standard is it a lower standard i don't know right i mean does it intend to waive law you can't waive law by implication i mean that's first year law school right so what what do they mean by this I've talked to a lot of people. Nobody knows. <laughs> no one can figure it yeah, out. It was funny too. Didn't that change come about in the midst of the whole, you know, Jedi? Yes. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not it, relating them, but it's yeah. but it but it was it, that it was, was serendipitous that right, it was yeah, happening. And because the, you know, one of the focuses and one of the things I think people relearned in that um, Jedi procurement is the law and the way it's established, you know, and where it's established in the preference for multiple awards and. What needs to be done? So, people hadn't focused on that a lot because most of the time, by default, people are doing have done a lot of multiple awards or they're doing single awards and nobody, you know, challenges them to, in that regard. So it's just kind of interesting that you know that focus on that language occurred at that time. Well, yeah, it is, and it's um, you know, it's it, it's it. It does us no favor favor here. I mean, ambiguity is not our friend. Right. We, when you have a process that's been in place, I mean, that was probably fast language. That was, you know, 24 years ago. Yes. There's a lot of case law yeah. built up around this, a lot of practice built up around this. Now, 
what are we doing? You know, so there's a little uncertainty there. There was an increase in the micro purchase threshold for DOD. Same, same concerns, different issue. You know, right. um, to, from five to ten, and um, that was to normalize because it had been raised in another context for was, civilian agents. Right. Right. Yeah. A new commercial item definition. Uh, now, commercial product in a commercial service. It doesn't look to be a substantive change. Right. Was uh, that from the AO9 panel? They're trying to. Well, it's it's consistent of, with what they yeah. were talking about. Um, limitations on laws uh, applying to DOD. Um, this this goes back to FASA for um, commercial contracts. The idea was for commercial contracts. Uh, there's uh, because there's market testing. You don't need as many of these provisions of law. But as the 809 panel uh, found, that there has been a lot of law creep, if you will. Right. Um, oh yeah. And, and yeah. so this, yeah. the idea is to we did that. Coalition looked at that a few years back and mm-hmm. saw the, you know, the layering on of additional requirements that weren't, you know, mandated by law, onto commercial item contracting. So that's mm-hmm. actually a positive thing. Yeah. For a DoD to take a look at. And then there's a review far uh, by uh, the far review of the far by the far council on provisions affecting commercial items, and then requiring written determinations why certain provisions should be it should exist if they weren't you know intended to apply in the first place. And then there's supply chain risk management authority uh, that makes permanent. I think I mentioned this before. This authority under the fiscal 11 NDAA section 806 which allowed agency heads, uh, service heads, excuse me, to exclude a source or withhold award for national security systems uh, and related IT. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a lot and all out these there things waiting to, to be implemented. implemented right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the big thing. Yes. So, well, Tom, thank you so much. Uh, my guest today has been Tom Sisti. He's the Executive Vice President and General Counsel at the Coalition for Government Procurement. I am Roger Waldron. And you've been listening to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.